section 48 of Letters from Victorian Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Point Cook, November 1st, 1853. Sir, I have the honour to acknowledge receipt of your letter of July 27th. Having been addressed to Geelong, it went to my upper stations and I only received it a few days since. I shall now be happy to give any information relative to the progress of this colony, but am at a loss of where to begin and where to end. I will, therefore, give a brief review of what has come under my own observation since my arrival in the colony. I arrived in Adelaide in January 1839, and had no opportunity of judging of the capabilities of the country, although I visited the most remote station and that was only 30 miles from Adelaide. But I was surprised to find parties of such speculative spirit, raising the price of land by false capital to a fictitious value, and paying for the same with long-dated bills. I arrived in Sydney two months afterwards and was much disappointed with the poor barren appearance of the country. There had been a series of unusually dry seasons. Butcher's meat being so poor looked so black and unwholesome that I could not touch it. No vegetables to be had at any price. I started up the country to invest in sheep and on my way to the Murrumbidgee did not travel a single mile without seeing dead horses and working bullocks. Hay or corn was not to be had at the inns. I saw upon stations where cattle were eager to get a little water them crawl into a water hole all but dried up and there get bogged and leave their carcasses where there were hundreds of others. No one but an eyewitness can have any idea of the state of New South Wales at that period. Besides the unfavourable seasons, the country was overrun with bush rangers. Neither life nor property was safe, not even in villages. When travelling with the mail, I found at every inn horsemen and gigs waiting to accompany the mail for protection. I saw the corpse at Gray's Inn of one who had been shot while in charge of a dray. I saw another near Goulburn, and I was within a few miles of Gundaroo when Scotchy and Witten's party had possession of that village. And as Mr Hume, brother of Hamilton Hume, discoverer of the Murray River, was going with his servants to the assistance of the villagers, he was shot dead, leaving a large family to lament his loss. Scotchy and Witten were at last captured. The one hanged himself in jail, the other was hanged in Goulburn. I bought sheep on the Murrumbidgee in April, returned to Sydney, bought a dray and eight bullocks, with the view of taking my sheep to Port Phillip. Before getting to Barima, a distance of 80 miles, six of my bullocks died from starvation, and in consequence of thousands of sheep dying of Qatar, I changed my mind and left my sheep at Murrumbidgee. I bought cattle and took them overland to Adelaide, found two of the lower stations on the Murrumbidgee, only 70 miles below Port Phillip Road, had been deserted for the want of feed, and from there to the Adelaide Territory appeared to me to be unavailable for any purpose. Mr Eyre, late Lieutenant Governor of New Zealand, who preceded me a few months, was then of the same opinion. I have seen a portion of the same country since, and what was then a sandy desert is now tolerably grassed, and the whole of this country occupied. On travelling down the Murray and Murrumbidgee, I found the natives cunning and treacherous like all other savages, and they would take advantage when parties were off their guard. Mr Chrisholm's party from Yass followed me, had all their stock taken, and the whole party killed except one man. Mr Snodgrass followed and also lost a great many sheep by the natives. When I arrived in Adelaide, I found cattle had fallen from £20 to £7, at which price I had to dispose of mine for bills. I returned to Sydney by way of Hobart Town, and found the appearance of the country quite changed, a good deal of rain having fallen in the interval. I then started with my sheep which I left on the Murrumbidgee for Port Phillip and arrived at the Loddon in May 1840 having then been 16 months in the colonies. I found all the country north of Captain Hepburn and Mr Coghill unoccupied and took out a licence for the country adjoining them. At that time there were a great many cattle and sheep on the road from Sydney and six months afterwards all the country to the north for 50 miles was taken up. I found the natives on the Loddon very quiet but some came from the Pyrenees and killed a Mr Allen and also Miss Elephant's housekeeper. I sold my station on the Loddon, bought sheep on the Sydney side, and on my way to the westward found all the country occupied until I arrived at Mount William, where I formed a station in April 1842. 
On my way to Mount William, I met Mr. Thompson of Stevens and Thompson, who told me that, although he did not wish to intimidate me, he would at the same time assure me that I would lose every sheep by the natives at Mount William, that he had been there for two months, and that he put two shepherds with double-barrelled guns to each flock to no purpose, and at last was forced to leave. Having been always so lucky with the natives, I pushed on, and upon pitching my tent did all in my power to have some intercourse with the natives, so as to civilise them as soon as possible. It was weeks before I succeeded, and they were always on the lookout and ran like deer. I at last came upon one on the plains, some distance from timber, and gave chase to him on horseback. When I pulled him, he could scarcely stand on his legs from fear, but when I smiled and showed that I wished to be on good terms with them, he gained courage and talked a little. A few days afterwards, he brought some younger ones in sight of the tent who could speak English better. I went to meet them and gave them to understand that I wished to be friendly with them, that if they did not steal, they should be at liberty to roam about as usual. They seemed quite delighted and pleased. I at times gave them a little flour and mutton, but it was some months afterwards before I would allow them to come nearer than 200 or 300 yards to the huts. I don't think I lost 20 sheep by them. In the same year, I bought a station on the Wanham, and to my surprise, not a single native could be seen. I would come upon their camps and fires, but never got a sight of one of them. They were not allowed to come upon any station in that neighbourhood. Indeed, they were in a wilder state than any I'd seen in the colonies, and at that time all my neighbours were losing sheep. Thinking it the best policy to civilise them as soon as possible, I took two from Mount William to the Wannon, who brought about a dozen to me. I told them the same that I told those at Mount William. A month or so afterwards, there were about 20 assisting at sheep washing. Mr Riley of Riley and Barker, hearing of it, immediately rode up to see if it were correct, and told me that they were the first he had seen at the station in that district, and strongly advised me against encouraging them as they were treacherous to their kindest benefactors. I pursued my own policy, thinking the sooner they were civilised and could discriminate between right and wrong, the sooner they would become harmless to Europeans. I found it an answer, and in a short time they were seen all upon the stations in that district. Mr Matthew Gibson, wine merchant, was the first party who occupied country in the neighbourhood of Mount William. He pitched his tent in 1839 on that portion of the Hopkins, known as McGill Station. But finding the water very bad, he moved on to the Glen Elk. In 1840, Mr. Kirk took possession of the same country, and in the same year, Mr. Wills, Captain Briggs, and others formed stations of about the same period. It is the general opinion that the country has improved much by being stocked, and I have no doubt it has to a certain extent, but I think it's more the result of the change of seasons. In 1842, the Fiery Creek Plains were very thinly grassed, and for the want of water between Mount William and Fiery Creek, there was a large tract of country not occupied until 1846. Being in the habit during those four years of riding over it in every month, I observed the sward of grass getting thicker every season, although there was not a hoof upon it. In 1841, the Fiery Creek was dry for 20 miles, and the bed of the creek smoking as if on fire, which is the origin of the name. In 1842, I saw a flock of sheep feeding in the centre of Lake Bollock, and two or three years ago, Mr Patterson told me that it was 15 feet deep at the margin near his house. Major Mitchell's Lake Repose, Lake Linlithgow, and several other lakes I saw dry in 1842. It is the change of season and not the stock that has changed the appearance of the country. In 1842 and 1843, water could not be had for the splitters, and now there are springs and creeks everywhere. I formed a station on the Adelaide Territory 40 miles from Goochin Bay about the end of 1845. I found the habits and sea of the natives there the same as in Port Phillip, but was surprised to find they could not swim, and I believe until lately they never had an opportunity, as I am informed 10 years ago they could only get water by digging for it. There is no river or creek between Lake Alexandrina on the Murray and the Glenelg. The country from that part of the Murray to Mount Gambier is the most barren, sterile country I have witnessed in all my travels. Sheep and cattle die within 20 miles of the coast. I had to remove cattle from a station there after losing about 500. The police magistrate, Goochin Bay, told me that it was impossible to keep goats for the supply of milk as they all died.
With regard to the capabilities of the different colonies, no doubt Port Phillip is the Eden of the whole. From Lake Collick to Mount Shabwell, Port Ferry, Mount Rouse, Wanlam with the junction of the Glenelg, considering the extent and area, it is the greatest extent of rich country I ever witnessed within my recollection. Poor healthy soil near Newcastle, county of Northumberland, has been ploughed, drained and manured so as to raise good crops. On visiting the different provinces and districts, I was struck more with the different manners and customs of the Europeans than the Aborigines. In Adelaide, there appeared to be a spirit of keen Yankeeism. In Sydney, the people seemed light, gay and thoughtless. The settlers on the Murrumbidgee and Goulburn the same, and again on the Geelong side and Western's district, they appeared thoughtful for the future, industrious and persevering, willing to put their shoulders to the wheel and overcome all difficulties, and that at a time when they did not know how to raise £10 to pay their licence. Indeed, I have been agreeably surprised to witness so many very young men arrive in this colony possessing such perseverance, sobriety and exemplary conduct. I have the honour to be, sir, your obedient servant, Thos Chernside, His Excellency the Lieutenant Governor. End of section 48. Recording by Shanna Burns.